This is the Hockey News Podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Hockey News Podcast. I'm filling in for Matt Larkin as host, who's filling in for Ken Campbell as analyst? As hot take artist. I'm going to try and take that mantle from Ken and just sizzle with my takes today. Difference will be, yours won't be ludicrous. (laughs) Eat that, Ken, if you're listening. Uh, We're well into the second round now. Uh, It continues to shock. I think there's a little bit of awe in there as well. Um... It's anybody's guess at this point. Um, I I can't even pick out a team, but you guys tell me, who do you think is the favorite to win the Stanley Cup at this point? Well, I, I would look right now at Boston and St. Louis, and I know, you know, as we record this, both teams are tied in their series with Columbus and Dallas, respectively, but if I'm going to have to pick a favorite, I'm going to look structurally, and when I look at the Bruins, I see a team that you know, has a ton of experience. They've got a core of guys who have won the cup before, so they know what it takes. They have a lot of different skill sets out there. And of course they have that monster top line where they they can shut you down or they can force you to try to shut them down. And even when you try, it doesn't always work. Uh, so I like Boston in the East. St. Louis in the West. I think the West is a little more of a toss up right now. I think that you know a case can also be made for San Jose. But for me, when I look at the Blues, I look at another heavy team that can give you a couple of different looks and you know Jordan Bennington the rookie goaltender still looking all right no quite no question with the blues with goaltending he's phenomenal but the Bruins has Rask shown you anything that he can be the guy I think so I think he's proven so far that he can be the better goaltender in a series which he was he played Anderson against Toronto yeah and I mean Bobrovsky obviously a very good netminder in his own right but you know, Rask just needs to be his equal. Mm-hmm. And I think through two games, he has shown that he is still very good. And again, a guy with experience. He didn't personally win the cup for the Bruins, but he was there. And uh, he's gone on long runs before. So I think Rask's interesting. I think he takes a little more flack than he needs to sometimes. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, he's, he's a pretty good goaltender. Yeah. I, I think we kind of forget that. He also looks like everyone. Yes, Matt Everyone. had that blog about that. He looks like, like name a Google person. that. He looks like them. He looks yeah, Milos Raonic, the tennis player. Yep, he looks like Duke Rask. He looks, unfortunately for for him, like an amalgam of the three of us. Interesting. <laughs> Joni from Joni Loves Chachi looks like Tuka Rask. Yeah. Uh, the Lundergaard, Mrs. Lundergaard from Fargo looks like Tuka Rask. Harry Styles. Harry Styles looks like Tuka Rask. Just I'm sure Google, he doesn't mind that one. Just Google Tuka Rask looks like everybody. Yeah. Like, yeah. It's, it's a thing. Yeah. That's right. So for me... It's funny. I, I, I'm going to try and learn from my nightmare first round where I went 1-7. One one seven. Seven. But hey, like everyone else, okay? Uh, and nobody picked Columbus. Hey, you're talking to a guy who went two for eight. Yeah, so. there you go. Hey, oh, I, I, went, <clears throat> I went, I don't want to, I don't want to, you know, <laughs> toot my own horn, but I went three for eight. Oh, three picks? I'm yeah, jealous. Yeah. I can only dream yeah. of getting three picks right. But I'm going to try and learn from what went wrong, and I'm going to pick the team that beat the team that won 62 games and swept that team. Uh, I like Columbus, and I think Columbus has shown they're not going to be intimidated by the Bruins. Two tight games, and they got a split going back now to Columbus. And I think they have the formula that I've been talking about in the last year or so as I think the new formula for success in the playoffs um, because we had the Kings play the heavy, 
And then we had the Blackhawks and Penguins win with the speed game. And I think now the template, which was established by Washington, is you play with both. You can play heavy and you can play skilled. And Columbus has that. They have all those heavy forwards, but they have the skilled defensemen, Seth Jones, Zach Wierenski, and they have the speed up front, Artemi Panarin, Cam Atkinson. They can play any kind of game, so it doesn't matter. Whereas Boston, against a team like the Leafs, tried to dictate the pace. And and when Boston successfully did that, the Leafs couldn't play that grinding game. Whereas Columbus can say, okay, you want to go in the mud? We'll, We'll fight in the mud. We'll send Nick Foligno and Josh Anderson into the mud. We can play that way. Or you want to go speed? Okay, fine. We'll give the puck to Artemi Panarin. So I think that they're so versatile. And also, if you look at the underlying metrics, they've been one of the more territorially dominant teams in the playoffs so far. The weird thing is, I want to I want to pick St. Louis as well, coming out of the West, uh, and I probably would. But Colorado, if you look at the under-the-hood numbers, has been arguably the best team pound-for-pound pound overall play in the playoffs, even if they're top-heavy. But you're not actually picking Colorado. No. Come on. I was going to say, I know you have a young kid, but you must be going to yeah. bed early if you're picking Colorado. <laughs> no, I'm San Jose yeah. has been yeah. dominant. Well, and I did pick I picked the Sharks to win that series in seven games uh, just because I think the Sharks have very good depth, and I think that they have a lot of good defensively responsible forwards that can kind of neutralize what Colorado has. So I, I think that the it's going to be a good series, but I still have the Sharks. And I think if Jordan Bennington isn't the best goaltender left in the playoffs right now, it's Bob. And and that that to me, like I'm 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 on the Columbus bandwagon as well. You know, I I did a series of radio hits recently, and you know was was talking about Columbus being the team because why not? It's true. Really, I mean, it's but it's beyond that. I I think Tortorella is pushing the right buttons there as well. Like he's he's found something, and and getting past Tampa, how can you not be filled with confidence? And and you, I mean, you should have won game one as well. Mm-hmm. I think you were the better team in game one, going home with a split. Like, I, I think Columbus is tough to beat. Uh, who do you like in the West, though? I I think I uh, I, I want to say San Jose because they're the most complete team. If Martin Jones is good enough the rest of the way, I don't see any reason why the Sharks can't go all the way because they're just they can win in so many ways as well. I guess I lean toward them, but St. Louis. I mean, it's hard to argue against the momentum they've had since January. But the thing that shocked me about the Sharks is how good their lesser-known players have been. I knew Kevin LeBanc was good. I didn't know Kevin LeBanc was great. Straight to the bank. Straight, straight to, to LeBanc. Yeah. yeah. Is that what they say? No, his Twitter handle is straight to the bank. Oh, yeah. that's good. That's pretty that's sweet. Good. Yeah. Yeah. And he's been special in the playoffs. Great hands. And again, that's an example of the Sharks. They have the size and, and you know, your Joe Thornton's guys who can play that bigger, stronger game of Andrew Kane. But Kevin LeBanc, a smallish player, more of a new school type of player that can really add a lot of skill to that lineup. I, I got a full-on man crush on Timo Meyer at this point. Oh. That kid's a beast. Yeah. Like he And he's perfect for the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Like that's I'm, I'm like in San Jose coming to the West big time for that reason. Like mm-hmm. Jones is, uh, I'd be lying if he didn't make me a little nervous. He's been really good at times, but shaky. But uh, yeah, I, I think San Jose's got it all. And what, what's wrong with Aaron Carlson? Is he hurt? And, and is he, he just not as good? Does now? he only have half an ankle? Well, yeah, <laughs> and yeah, yeah he literally does. And I, I still think Carlson is weird because it, he visibly doesn't always look like the same guy, but then. He's turned into an even more extreme example of eye test versus results. But often when you look at what he's actually done on the ice versus what he looks like he's mm-hmm. doing on the ice, the results are still there, especially during the regular season when territorially he was as good as any defenseman in the league in terms of tilting the shot attempt ratio in his team's favor. Uh, but what seems to be consistent with the Sharks defensemen all season long, maybe even the playoffs too, is that 
they play that high-risk, high-gain game, especially Brent Burns, and they do give up some pretty high-danger chances yeah. the other mm-hmm. way. They have all season. That's why a big reason why Martin Jones had a down year. The thing that kind of I wonder about Carlson paired with Burns is, is Carlson the guy who needs to be the guy? And is he, is he because he's got Burns on the team or sometimes rarely paired with Burns, that he's not the guy? Because Burns is still the guy there. And Burns has been, as, as evidenced by the Norris Trophy nomination, he's the guy there and he's played better than Carlson this year. Is Carlson better when he's on a team like Ottawa where it's it's the Eric Carlson show? Well, I think that's something that he needs to reckon with this summer as he hits free agency is, you know, does he want to be on a collective where he can win a cup or does he want to be that big fish in the pond where... I mean, you're always going to want to win. I, not like he's going to go to a rebuild or anything yeah. like that. But I think that's that's a decision he has to make is what will his role be on a team because obviously he's going to be paid as the guy. I, I don't I mean, we're, we're way away from free agency, but you can still be the guy on a team on a contender. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's lots of teams out there who need the guy. It's just there are very few teams that have a Brent Burns as well yeah. who's going to steal your time. You know, he could he could go to I don't know, any number of teams. I mean, Boston, let's say. You know, he's Charles Mac is Charlie McAvoy the guy? Is he a the guy type of guy? Yeah, I'm not, I mean, not saying he's going to go to Boston. I'm just trying yeah. to find a team where he's It's interesting and with Carlson, I will say that um there's no way to predict exactly what's going to happen in free agency, but he's been given plenty of opportunities, sort of softballs, where he could sort of commit to his love for San Jose. I love it here. I love my mm-hmm. teammates. And he hasn't really spoken in those terms, which to me, it kind of reeks of leaving the door open to go somewhere else. 100%. And he could, like, if, if he was really confident, he could have been saying more glowing things. Um, so I do wonder if, who knows? It could be anything. It could be on a personal level. The city, the area is not a fit. But if I'm flipping a coin right now, I, I'm going to guess that he's on a different team next season. I would think so. I mean, he's just, it's tough to have. What's Bush Burns making? Eight? I'm guessing. but Eight minimum. Yeah. yeah. So I mean, it just, you start doing the math and all the other, all these small, like LeBanc and Meyer and all these other guys are going to start making beat. It's just tough to get that in. Even with it going up to 83 next year, it's going to be tough to squeeze these guys in. I kind of feel like it was a one and done shot. And I think if they do win, it makes it all the more easy for him to move on because. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, you got your cup. Complex. That's the thing. Yeah. Get your cup and then go wherever you want for more lifestyle reasons. 100%. Yeah. Why, why wouldn't you want to live in San Jose anyways? Come on. Iguana burritos. That's my place. Is that a burrito made of it? Iguana burrito zilla, it's called. Yeah. And they're huge. The burrito zilla. There's a, there's a five-pound burrito there, and it's amazing. Yeah. We didn't get that. We just got our own burritos. Yes, that's true. They were very tasty. <laughs> what does iguana taste like? Chicken. <laughs> Probably does. Mm. Uh, speaking of the Sharks, Mark Edward Vlasic, Mark Edward Vlasic says he says he'll wait for refs' apology after supposed blown offside call in Sharks Avs game two. Does he have a case? Is officiating? Oh, the word this is just going to take up the rest of the whole podcast. <laughs> is officiating under the microscope even more this year? Do we need a summit on officiating in the off season? Matt, kick mm-hmm. it off. Yeah, well, it's interesting because I, I do think that there are going to be some tough questions league wide that need to be asked after this this tire fire that is the playoffs, but. Ironically, despite feeling that way, I think Mark Edward Blasek was wrong in this case. Uh, I think there's a misconception that icing is called at the hash marks, but icing is called based on 
the, the officials judge of who's going to get to the puck quicker. Mm-hmm. And it's based on often the velocity of the skate speed. And in that moment, what Vlasic was complaining about, it, he was ahead of Miko Rantanen, but Rantanen had a lot of speed going. So the official made a judgment call that Rantanen was going to get there before Vlasic. Uh, so I actually didn't have any problem with that call. That said, uh, it just highlights even, even you know what, what Vlasic is doing. He's referring to the, the officials apologizing uh, for the, their blown call in the Vegas series, right? They apologized mm-hmm. to Vegas. So, so Vlasic's saying, well, where's our apology? Um, it does highlight the fact that officiating, I can't remember the last time it was so prominent in a playoff year, but it really is this year. Uh, and I do think that the league has to consider evaluating the standards. And it's not just for making split-second calls because that's difficult, but I think the problem is more... Are we ever going to have the discussion about the fact that for some reason hockey is unique, I think, to any other major pro sport and that it's called differently, enforced differently in the playoffs versus regular season? That's your problem I always right hated there. that. It's yeah. very strange. I'd, I'd rather you see one style of play in, in the regular season or one style of play in the playoffs. And right now we have a high-skill regular season, but two players that I repeatedly pointed out that, have, that were really neutralized in, the, in round one of the playoffs, Johnny Gaudreau and Mitch Marner, because the game is different. And suddenly they're getting back to being hacked and slashed, especially Johnny Gaudreau. So I would like to see the league step in and, and take a good long look at officiating this offseason. Yeah, I feel like what they needed was to have some sort of symposium for all their officials before the playoffs and say, okay, this is the standard. We need it to be consistent. Because you're right, it it is called differently in the playoffs. And to me, that's fine as long as everybody knows it. But you can't learn it during a series because then you're already playing catch up. And, you know, uh, we often talk about when refs put the whistles away, you know, they say it's because they don't want to change the game. But if you're not calling penalties, you are changing the game because the players who are willing to go over the line know that they can get away with more and that will benefit their team. So for me, that argument never held any water. What I think we're seeing is that the NHL is adjusting a little bit in terms of assignments. You know, refs that had bad first rounds are no longer around for the second round. And that's good. You want accountability. But I'm sure those same officials would say, well, if I knew this is how you wanted it called, I would have called it that way. So I think this is something where in the age we live in, where everybody can go on Twitter five seconds after a controversial play happens and zapruder the whole thing with their friends and get into huge arguments about it, Calls are under the microscope, and that's not the fault of the referees themselves. That's just how technology has come along. But the NHL needs to acknowledge that this is where the fandom is right now, and because we have all this great access, the standards need to be higher. And I think, for me, it's just consistency. If you're going to let everything go, let everything go. If you're going to call everything ticky-tack, then you have to literally call everything. You can't say, okay, well, we called a couple in the first period. We're going to loosen up now because that's just too confusing for the players. And I think that's where they need to be at before the playoffs begin. But is that not the very problem then? Is because the style of play, it's not the officiating that's causing the style of play. It's the style of play that's forcing the officiating's hand. Mm -hmm. Because we can all agree, regular season to playoff hockey Completely different game. Completely Completely different different game. So referees have called it one way, and if they were to call, at least in my mind, if they were to call the game in the playoffs like they called in the regular season, 
we're back to post-lockout hockey where it's 50% power plays. Mm. Do fans want that? Well, I would. what I would say is it would be like that for the first one or two games of a series, and then players would be minding their P's and Q's. Fair enough. Because you don't want to cost your team a playoff game. Right. And if you go the other way, if you call it looser in the regular season, then you get then you get dead puck coming back. Oh, you don't want right. to do that. Because like, look at how many goals being scored in the Islanders. I think like have 0.5. I think like did the team <laughs> right. get credited for half a goal? Uh, that's how rare goals are in that series right now. So it is kind of dead puck come back to life. Oh, no, 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 no. That's entertaining hockey, though. There's still chances being generated. Let's not, let's not. Yeah, I, don't, I, I know. That's, I know that's what fair. I don't yeah. want to dump on the series. What yeah. I'm just saying. The Islanders hit like 50 posts. Right. Right, yeah, that, that's been a good series. But I, I get what With you mean. defensive about the teams. Yeah, yeah, you don't want... You, I think, like, the NHL has hit... Oh, I don't want to use the word perfection. But they've hit... And, and, and I asked people that on, in a poll. And, and, and 3,000, 4,000 respondents. The vast majority said, we've hit a sweet spot. Mm-hmm. With scoring. We don't want more rule changes. We don't think it's gone too far. We've hit a sweet spot. How long has the NHL been trying to achieve that? Yeah. So I just wonder, again, and I get it. Okay, you say after one or two games of calling this, totally it would regress. But then do you take out some of the physicality that, that we love in the playoffs as well, that you can't sustain over an 82-game regular season? So I just, it, to me, it's just the refs are put in such a no-win yeah. position. Yeah, we're asking, we are asking them. We're like, come on, be perfect. Be yeah. perfect. Why aren't you perfect? Yes. Like, yeah. I, I, I'm guilty of that too, I admit. Yeah. And it makes it very tough. And and I, 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 while we're talking officiating, can we all agree that we need to get rid of the challenges? Ooh, well, I have a trade to propose, and I put it on Twitter. Okay, oh. uh, if we if we think that the major penalties should be reviewed because of what happened in the Shark series, then but we don't want the games to get even slower. Then you just trade. So you send offside reviews out into the abyss, just ah. nuke those, and in exchange we bring in major penalty yeah, reviews. And that's the, that's replaces the time eaten up by offside. And it doesn't mess with goals. Because yeah. yeah. major penalties aren't, aren't type penalties that, that uh, really mess with goals. It's not like, oh, we're challenging this goal because someone yeah. took a two-hand... Uh, Marty McSorley swing at the goalie's head. Right. right? So the major penalties tend to affect other parts of the game. So you wouldn't, you'd kill the reviews that are taking goals away and you'd add a review that could, you know, stop those penalties that are not penalties and significantly affect the outcome of the game. Can we, can we, well, do you want to and can we now get rid of goaltender interference reviews though? Ooh. Because I'm, I'm, here's why I'm asking this. I am so sick of not being excited about goals. Right. It's foot in the crease all over again. Oh, yeah, it is. Every time a goal is scored, if it's not a slapper from the wing, and we all know how often that happens <laughs> nowadays, if there's any traffic in the crease, which is on 80% of goals, you can't get excited right away because you just go, okay, well, let me watch the replay first. Mm. So imagine yeah. how fans feel, because I'm not, you know, I'm not really emotionally invested in the Islanders Carolina series. I want goals, I want to see a good game. But I'm just tired of not knowing. And I can't imagine how soul sucking that is for your average fan. And let, like, face it, should be fun. Sports yes. should be fun, and I don't care. I don't. I'd rather it be fun than right. Right. Yeah, it's a fair point. I'd <laughs> rather. That a t-shirt. Yeah, you, <laughs> that's, that's a good t-shirt. <laughs> you miss a couple reviews, but then you just get more pucks going in, and you get more organic celebrations, like Team Finland in the world's women's world championship. That would be right. nice to just enjoy that for the moment it was, and now it's like a moment that sort of could be deleted. Hashtag not my gold medalist. <laughs> yeah. Man. Okay, so let me ask the question again before I went to the tirade. Can you, do you, do you guys want it and can you do it? 
I don't think you can end goaltender interference reviews. I think you just need to be a little more judicious with it. I think we start with offside because offside has gotten real ticky-tacky. It's like, oh, one fiber of the guy's skate was within a millimeter of the blue line. Offside! Like, I think that's the one that's gone too far. So I think we start small. We chop that one. NHL award finalists have been released. Uh, Any snubs that surprised you guys? You know what? I'm going to... First point out something that Matt pointed out on Twitter the other day. When we talk about snubs, uh, it's important to realize that on the ballots, we get five choices, but there are only three finalists. So players that might appear to be snubs might have just finished fourth. And, you know, like Miro Heskinen, for example, a lot of people were saying, how could he not be up for the Calder? Uh, basically, he just didn't get enough votes. He was on my ballot, um, but I'm going to go with a couple of... He was of top d- three on your ballot, you mean? Uh, he was actually fourth on my ballot, but ahead of Darlene. I had Brady Kachuk third. Okay. Um, but I'm going to go with a couple of other ones, starting with Johnny Gaudreau for Hart. Uh, for me, if you're going to have a high-scoring Alberta forward for Hart, it's not McDavid, it's Gaudreau, because even though they lost in the first round... Gaudreau's team made the playoffs. Not only that, Calgary was one of the best teams. So you're one of these. The you're one of these playoff guys. I'm a playoff guy, and I'm going to stick to it. I feel that I have to be uniform. So I didn't vote for Patrick Kane either, okay. uh, even though he had a fantastic season. When it comes to the All Star ballot, yeah, McDavid was my number one guy, and Patrick Kane was, I think, one of my top guys as well on the All Star ballot. But most valuable. And I'm not going to get into a big thing because we've already done it on the podcast before. <laughs> There's no value in a season without playoffs. So for me, Gaudreau snubbed for Hart. Uh, also, say John Carlson for the Norris. And you're it, here. It's a tough year for the Norris because there's a lot of good candidates. Uh, Giordano was my guy, anyways. I did. I had Carlson on my ballot, but not number one. Uh, but I think he just had a really, really good season for the Capitals, and, it, and it's too bad that he's not going to get acknowledged for it in this capacity. I had John Carlson number two on my Norris ballot. And I think sometimes it seems like the voting populace will lean on, you know, Hedman had a good year, but, you know, not Norris Trophy like last year, but I feel like there was a residual effect of him winning it last year that kept him in the top three, whereas yeah, I had Carlson number it's two. It's also that his team was absolutely absurd. Yes, yes, yeah. for sure. We could see Lightning win a bunch of awards. Absolutely. I think my number one snub, though, um, was for the Selkie Trophy. And again, oh, yeah. I, I like to keep my ballot Selkie reveals... Snub. Selkie, Selkie snub. snub. Uh, I like to keep my ballot reveals like pretty cryptic until we release all of them. Um, but So I won't say what my entire Selkie ballot was, but I'll say that Sidney Crosby, I had mm-hmm. not only on my ballot, but I had him second mm. um, to another guy that, that is on the ballot. That's one of the finalists, okay? But Crosby, uh, dominant on face-offs, so heavily relied upon by his team for offense and defense and just the skewing of the goals for his team versus goals for the other team when he was on the ice was so extreme he was as dominant as you can be defensively all season long so i'm again i'm not going to officially call it a snub because i bet you we'll see the ballot and crosby might be fourth or fifth right um but i think he should have been higher same with john carlson Mm. the other thing i'll say is just the the snub talk uh it all ties to the stupid idea that there are there are award nominees they're not nominees 
They're not being nominated by anyone. It's not they're like finalists. the Oscars. They're finalists. Yeah. The voting is done. There's just a list, and the and the finalists that are released, that's just the top three vote getters, right? So I think people talk about snubs because they think of nominees as only three guys being up for the award. Oh, how dare they not nominate Miro Heiskanen? Mm. He wasn't nominated. He was voted upon. He was on all of our ballots, I'm sure, and he probably is going to finish fourth in the Calder. I'm really digging in. Unfortunately, people who aren't watching the video version, you should probably queue it up. You got some Trump hands going. Oh, do I? Like you are all over the place here. John Carlson is tremendous. It's tremendous flair. Like just just your hands alone. Oh, yeah. Like I'm I'm actually in danger. Over I'm also like I'm, I'm also T Rexing it because I don't have a lot of room. Oh, I know. I feel like you're gonna take my eye. Yeah. I was a little surprised, um, Crosby for the heart. Like, is there any legacy to that? Like he was no, not for me. Good. Again, Crosby was my number Israel, two on my ballot yeah. for heart. Crosby was my number two vote. Uh, so am I, I am I reverse legacying and then yes. I just expect him to be good? So. so it's just yes. like, oh, you were good again. This year, I yeah. think he really deserved yeah. it. Like he was got a hundred points, and hundred points when he, it's not like he had elite wingers like some of the other guys, like Kucherov, you know, always playing with you know whether it's Braden Point or whoever else. But Crosby playing playing with Gensel and a revolving door. By the end of the season, I think it was usually Jared McCann. He still had a hundred points and was dominant defensively. I think he. He carried the Penguins this mm. year more than uh, in recent years. Yeah. And I just did a bunch of Trump. <laughs> yeah. Now I'm going to yeah. put it in your head now. I feel in a bad. weird way, I because I voted Crosby for Selkie as well. It, and it felt like there was a bit of a groundswell. You know, just when you talk to other reporters around the league that it's like, ooh, Crosby for Selkie. Yeah, mm. yeah, Crosby for Selkie. And then as it turned out, I guess there wasn't that much of a groundswell. And people were, just went, eh, Crosby Hart. That, that makes sense. He's... He's one of the best. Crosby's never won a Selkie, right? He has not. No, he has Does not. He... And that's kind of like what Ken Campbell actually asked him this at the All-Star game, if that's something he would, you know, really like. And, you know, Crosby was saying like, yeah, you know, you want to you wanna be recognized in that way. So does Crosby win a Selkie before his career is over? I kind of feel like this would have been the year. Yeah, I think so too. This was his yeah. chance. Selkie, I think... Yeah, I mean, you're going to get the up-and-comers. Like, I think Stone is going to be in line for one uh, eventually. But Selkie can often get that whole, like, ah, he's not quite MVP good, but uh, got to give him something. It also gets very musty. I think, like, people don't really like to think about the Selkie too much, so they're like, ah, Patrice Bergeron. Yeah. Or like, ah, Andre Kopitar. He missed 17 games. If you're spending less if you're spending less than a day on your awards, you're not spending enough time. Yeah. This is, I mean, this is for this is the history of the game. Like, it is. You, you can't just be gexing. And I've always appreciated that from you guys. You know, I see you guys hunkering down. And you, there's a decision, as I've talked to both of you about this, there is a lot of thought put into oh, yeah. this, and I don't think mm-hmm. you get it. I descend into madness. Yeah. Uh, you're, you're probably a little I, I take it almost too far. Yeah. They, yeah. And that's what, and that, to me, that's why they should be releasing all the votes a la yeah. Baseball Hall of Fame, yeah. because it saves the embarrassment of guys who don't take right. it seriously. And that's, that's why it was, I mean, we saw it last year, they did it that's for right. the first time, and we had the gentleman who had Yanni Gord first for the Calder. So I think people are going to be held a lot more accountable now, yeah. that, they're, yeah. now that they're available. Nothing straightens people up like the fear of embarrassment. <laughs> Except for me. I came on this. Um, future watch time. You guys do it differently now when I'm from last time. You guys yeah. got it broken down into segments. Um, so we're going to look at future watch. Ryan, this has got to be your baby. Yes, uh, let's start off with Carl Henriksen. Yes, so for the 2019 draft, Carl Henriksen plays for Froland in Sweden, uh, just won a gold medal with the Swedes at the World Under-18s. This was a watershed moment for them. They tend not to do 
very well in these international tournaments. Uh, but Henriksen's very interesting to me. I had him as a third rounder in future watch. I think maybe he could even creep his way up into the second round because he is that guy on the skill line that puts it all together. It, it kind of reminded me of Sebastian Ajo at the World Juniors a couple of years ago where he had Line and Pugliarvi in his wingers. And those, those guys were the puppies. You know, it was sort of like, just run, do your fun offensive thing. Let Sebastian Ajo worry about structure and defense and getting back on the back check. Um, Henriksen, he's a coach's favorite. You know, when I talk to scouts, they love his smarts. He's the guy that digs for pucks. And he actually led Sweden in scoring at this tournament. Nine points in seven games, one more than Lucas Raymond, the 2020 draft phenom that was so good for them in the final. So Carl Henriksen, he's one to watch for because I think he's got a lot of potential as just a very solid player. Um, now going to drafted players, uh, Ilya Samsonov, or it's probably Samsonov. Uh, we always mispronounce Russian names. Um, playing for the Hershey Bears, he is, of course, the Washington Capitals prospect. 9.45 save percentage so far in the AHL playoffs. He's been splitting time with Vitek Vanacek. But what I really like about Samsonov's playoffs right now is the fact that he's getting results and, and playing so well because this is his first season in North America. And it was shaky in the regular season. Like Vanacek was very important for the Bears as Samsonov got his feet wet. Uh, the fact that he's getting results now, you know, they beat Bridgeport in the first round. Bridgeport had some good talent. Now they take on Charlotte. Now Charlotte was one of the best teams in the AHL. Um, this is going to be a great test. And I don't know if they're going to keep, you know, going with a battery of the two netminers or if Samsonov is going to play more now. But he's playing very well. He's got the size. He's got the athleticism. Uh, so the Caps have to be happy because this is a good way to end what was a sort of like so-so first season. Is Samsonov another year in the AHL, you figure, before he takes yes. Yeah. Yeah, I think he's got to play, right? He's got to play, and I think he needs to show more consistency. And, you know, it's good for him almost that he had some rough patches this year in Hershey because, you know, he's getting used to the game. He's getting used to the culture over well, here. And in North American ice. And the North American ice. Like that's such a huge adjustment. It's yeah. not a shock at all. It's and, shocking. you know, Washington, like, they, they have that time. You know, Braden Holtby's their guy, no problem. Uh, they've had a couple of great backups the past couple of years. Mm-hmm. You know, Grubauer, who is obviously in Colorado now, and uh, and Copley as well. Now, so they have time. Samsonov can get his starts. I think another full year would do him really well. And if, and if he runs things in Hershey next year, then that's awesome. Maybe you bring him up for a game at the end of the season just to get that NHL taste. But otherwise, I think he's on the right path, and the growth he has already shown is a, a big positive. Yeah, I'm super stoked for Samsonov because uh, Tom Thompson, who's one of our scouting experts, does the verses in the magazine for us, did a Carter Hart oh, Samsonov yeah. one. And, just, and we all saw how good Carter Hart was yep. this year. He just loves Samsonov. This is he scouted him in Russia, uh, but he just loves Samsonov's athleticism and thought he was going to be so much better than Carter Hart. So if you mm-hmm. think Carter Hart is going to be good, mm-hmm. look out for Ilya Samsonov. This guy's a world beater. That's there right. In our future watch, uh, 2019, Samsonov, the number two goalie, number one, Ukopeka Lukanen in mm-hmm. Buffalo. Uh, but I believe, he's, yeah, he's number one. But Samsonov, he was a bit higher last year. He slipped slightly because he had a bit of that rocky transition. But he's still top two top goalie prospects in future watch. That surprises me that he was behind Luka. Luka Pekka. Yeah. And of course, if you love prospects, 
And you're watching our video. Got to get draft preview. Boom. It's out uh, maybe not next week, maybe the week after. Jack Hughes, our first perfect bound edition. It's going to be huge. It's a great edition. And while I'm shilling, pick up money and power as well. Yes. I want to yeah. stands as well. Uh, let's go to... Oh, it's hot take time. It's time for me to be Ken. Ken, Ken just shivered in his car. <laughs> Ken's, Ken's driving to Columbus right now. Yeah. Uh, what's the yeah. most Ken thing I could possibly say right now? Uh, uh, Pod- podcasts are stupid. Yeah, the Carolina <laughs> the Carolina Hurricanes are down are going to win the Stanley Cup. I don't know what's Curtis yeah. McElhinney will win the Conn Smythe. Is that is that Ken? <laughs> That's for about you? Okay. Ken. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He would he would say because um, he, he'd just say oh the playoffs need more fighting. He would say the Islanders are done. Because they're down two nothing, you'd be like, they're done. They're they're totally cooked. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah, yeah that that would be Ken's take. Yeah, you know it, what, what's one that Ken said all year was the Leafs we're gonna lose in round one. He, he did. That. That's true. Yeah. He did all say that. I, I did not disagree with Ken on that <laughs> yeah. one bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what are what is your hot take? Okay, my hot take is coming out of Nashville. Uh, the Predators. I think they have to look at this season as a big disappointment. Uh, they won the President's Trophy last year, and I, I do think it's you've seen it before uh, historically, especially recently. Teams do get a mulligan if they win the President's Trophy they don't win sometimes the GM will keep that group together give them another shot we saw it with Washington won the President's Trophy two years ago they won the cup the next year so I think it was okay that David Poyle uh, this past summer didn't tinker with his team much at all the only real major move was bringing in Dan Hamhuis for the bottom pair but now that little honeymoon phase is over uh, this team is very much in win now mode and losing in the first round is unacceptable power play was 0 for 15 in the first round and 12.9 percent in the regular season second worst or, or sorry worst power play of any team in the last two years combined uh, and if you look at the offense Philip Forsberg Victor Arvidsson at forward are excellent but Ryan Johansson he's been solid um, he's not a number one. He's center. not number one center. Last uh, since, in, if you look at his not the season where he came in halfway, but his, his three full seasons with the Predators, he ranks outside the top 100 in points for 60 minutes. He's a good player, but he's not a first round, a first line center. You just in a perfect setup, you want him as your number two center. It's not that he's part of the problem. It's just you don't want to depend on him for your number one center role. So that means the Predators, I think, have to pursue someone like a Matt Duchesne, for example, on the open market in the off season, or uh, seek a forward via trade. Problem being, they don't have the cap space. The cap is almost maxed out. Colton Sissons is an RFA. And next season, Roman Yossi is going to get his new contract, which I think he should be able to demand not quite Drew Doughty money, but maybe a $10 million AAV, not 11 but maybe 10 uh, And he's eligible to sign an extension this summer. Okay, so that's going to chew up a lot of cap down the road. So if you look at the big picture... The Predators desperately need to upgrade their forward group, but they don't have the money to do it. The only way to make the the space for a forward is to break up the big four on defense. That's the hot take, that David Poyle will trade one of Roman Yossi, P.K. Subban, Matisse Ekholm, or Ryan Ellis this summer. And if you look at who's the oldest, who makes the most money, who has no restrictions of any movement on his contract, it's Subban. Oh! So, Subban trade. Subban trade. I think that P.K. Subban will be traded this summer. Uh, Even Subban addressed it. uh, He was asked about it last week, and he even said, hey, I make the most money on the team. So you're going to move out $9 million. It won't be an easy trade to execute, but either you move him for a a package of futures or something, and then you you have money freed up to spend on a Duchesne, Mm -hmm. or you make a hockey trade where you bring in a forward who's expensive. So an example that I tossed out there was a Subban for William Nylander because uh, the Predators desperately need more skill, someone more dynamic who can play center. William Nylander can play center. You could have an all-Swede line of Nylander between Victor Arvidsson and Philip Forsberg. What do the Leafs need? A right-shot defenseman who 
can play a physical game both ends of the ice. Uh, it, again, it would be a little bit of tap dancing for the Leafs, but you're, you'd only be netting an extra $2 million of cap space because Nylander makes roughly $7 million, Subban $9 million, so you'd be getting what you need and you're only spending $2 extra million on it. So Subban mm. traded, I'm calling it right now. Because it's Nashville, can we call that the hot chicken take? Yes! Uh, Hattie B's! Shout out Hattie B's! I'd really prefer if we didn't. (laughs) (laughs) I got a a two-word hot take for you. UC Saros. Ooh! Moving over to the mailbag. Only two goalies left in the playoffs played 50-plus regular seasons. Bob and Jones. Coincidence? Or something we'll be seeing a lot more of? That's a good question, Mr. James Young. Me too. And you know what? I agree with it. I think that... What we've seen in the past couple of years, uh, particularly from guys like Andre Vasilevsky and Frederick Anderson, is that they've been workhorses that have hit rough patches at inopportune times. And I think, I think part of this is the evolution of the game, particularly with the crackdowns we've had. Uh, I'm going to go down a little hole here. Just follow Please me. Please do. <laughs> So first you have the clutching and grabbing, they, they get rid of that. Then the slashing, they get rid of that. What this all means is that the game has opened up a lot more east-west in the offensive zone. A lot more cross-ice, cross-crease passes, which are a lot harder to defend. Not only just athletically, but also physically. Like you know, We all know that the butterfly is very taxing. All the push-offs, uh, push-offs all the ups and downs. I think that goaltenders need more rest mm. today than they did even like three, four years ago. And more shots, right? More shots, shots too. Shots way up yeah. around the league. Exactly. So I think that it behooves a team with championship aspirations to have not necessarily a 1B guy, but a really solid backup. A 2A. A, two, mm. a 2A, yeah, exactly. A Curtis McElhinney. Ooh. If you will, second Ooh. second Curtis McElhinney reference Ooh. of the podcast. The dude plays well. What can Kyle you say? Dubis. Kyle Dubas burned. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, and I think you know you look at Carolina right now with Mrazek getting hurt in that game too, and they had McElhinney. Like that was a big thing for them to be able to go with a guy that had already played a bunch of times in the regular season. Was I mean he essentially was there. 1B uh, because Mrazek, you know, had an up and down season, had some injury problems. So I think that's how you, you kind of have to go these days because, you know, playing 70 games in a season, especially with the schedule where there's so many back to backs, um, I, I just don't think it, it really works anymore. I also think, sorry, Matt, I also think like what this year has shown and further proved is just get in. Just get oh, yeah. in. So if it costs you a few points in the standings, Good point. who cares? Right. Let your let your AHL guy bring up Ilya Samsonov right. and let him get a taste. Who cares if you're using four or five, six goalies in a year? Right. Nah, I'm getting a little. <laughs> but like seriously, like it, do, it doesn't system. matter. It, <laughs> yeah, it's a good point. But I mean, it doesn't matter. Just get in. Yeah. Just get in. Home ice doesn't matter. Just get in. So even yeah. if you don't have a two A guy still rest your starter. Mm. That, that's a great point. And and I was skeptical at first, but I decided to look at the numbers and they absolutely bear out. Okay, so these are these are the games the games started by the the uh, Stanley Cup winning goalies since 2014 because 2013 was a shortened season. Jonathan Quick 49, 
Corey Crawford, 57. Matt Murray, 44, including the AHL combined. Matt Murray, 49. Brayden Holtby, 54. So I was very surprised. All very light workloads. So there does seem to be a direct correlation right now. So which of the final eight goaltenders played the least regular season games? Jordan Bennington. Jordan Bennington. I I would assume. I'm guessing. Yeah. 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 It's funny, though. That's a great question. Well done, James. Applause to you, sir. Yes. Great. James, 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 James. James, James, James. All right, on to Jeff. You got, you got a big, (laughs) no pressure, Jeff. James versus Jeff. Uh, Who will be the surprise off the board picks in the draft? I'm thinking in the top 15 only. Dear God, shall we dedicate an entire podcast to this? Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm going to throw two names here because we are all only talking top 15. Uh, the first, Bobby Brink uh, from the Sioux City Musketeers of the USHL. This is a player that, you know, we've talked about a couple of times on the podcast, I think, but, you know, just a ton of offensive skill, uh, bound for the University of Denver. He was actually the USHL's forward of the week that was just announced a couple of days ago. And he's a little bit undersized, but... You know, right now, I think people see him more in the sort of latter half of the first round. For me, I think he definitely deserves to be in that top 15 conversation. And I I have spoken to at least one NHL exec who said he has top 10 talent. So Bobby Brink would be one for me. The other name to keep in mind, Moritz Seider from Germany, uh, played for Adler Mannheim in the DEL this year. Now, he had some injuries, and he, you know his ice time fluctuated. So scouts, they didn't get a real good beat on exactly what Moritz Sider is right now. But given the fact that there's not a lot of high-end defensemen in this draft, I could definitely see Sider being top 15. Uh, again, as I have him now, I think I have him somewhere 15 to 25. But... You know, if a team misses on Bowen Byram and Victor Soderstrom, you know, if they prefer Cider over Philip Broberg or Thomas Harley, I could definitely see that decision being made by a team. So he would be my other option. This draft's going to be fun. I'm excited about this draft. Yeah, there's a there's a lot of moving parts. Yeah, even uh, like even as high as number three is in flux. Like, Very true. Just, yeah. Yep. Uh, let's quickly get in this last one because I like this. Aaron Goldsmith is asking, "What is Kale McCarr's ceiling? The boy has been absurd. Samuel Gerard and him." Woo. Yeah, I think the ceiling, and it's something that scouts have said repeatedly before, and I think it's already showing like it's going to be accurate. Uh, I think the ceiling is Eric Carlson because mm. McCarr's got that level of game-changing, dynamic offensive ability. He's a super smart player. He can skate. He just has incredible vision. He can pass the puck. Like He strikes me as a defenseman who, uh, when Eric Carlson starts to trend down, which might be happening already, but uh, I think in, let's say, five years from now, we're going to get a period where Kale McCarr is likely the top scorer among defensemen in the league regularly. I could see, actually, Kale McCarr and Quinn Hughes battling it out Ooh, for that good. distinction. And it, you don't want to over-project every prospect and say, oh, well, there are top two defense prospects. They're going to be the best two in five years. Uh, but I do think they're both actually special well, players. Kale McCarr is already Colorado's number one defense. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, and I think right now, like you could, even though Jack Hughes is going to be in the NHL next year in Capocaco, you can't forget Kale McCarr will be Calder eligible. And it's yeah. very common that a second year guy, or a little bit more mature, like Elias Pettersson, likely will this year. That's the kind of guy that often wins the Calder. Uh, so I think McCarr is going to be as much a contender for the award as, as Hughes will be next year. Yeah, and what I think is very important about the fact that McCarr is playing playoff games right now is 
he's getting very good experience. He's also seeing what he needs to work on. I mean, he could not handle Evander Kane in front of the net <laughs> on that first San Jose goal in game two. And you know what? I mean, it's hard to handle Evander Kane. He's a big dude. Yeah. He's a strong guy, and he's very talented. But, you know, they showed Makar on the bench afterwards just shaking his head like, ah, I was definitely not in position <laughs> I got to get in the weight room. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. that's exactly it. I mean, part of the benefit of going to college is there's a lot of time in the weight room. And Makar had a couple of years at UMass, but obviously now he's pro. That's going to be the summer objective, I'm sure, because he's got the skills, he's got the smarts. Now it's a matter of I got to handle NHL forwards on a regular basis. Because the college game is very different from the NHL game. You can spend all the time in the world, but when you feel a Vander Kane strength, it's a pretty big wake up. Yeah. So this is, I think this is a, a good time for him where even though the stakes are really high, he also knows that. He's not supposed to be the guy right away. So it's like, figure it out, and then this will be a big summer. And I, I agree, Matt. I think Makar is definitely going to be a favorite for the Calder. Yay or nay, Kale Makar wins a Norris Trophy eventually. Yay. Yay. Ooh, Kale Makar. Colorado fans, very happy. I'll take the yay on that, too. The kid has impressed the heck out of me. And points. <laughs> That's a sentence that I never thought I'd hear this morning. I'll take the yay on that, too. <laughs> <laughs> But it, it makes sense. It's just not a yeah. sentence you hear every day. Uh, Kenny, we're sorry for crapping all over you. You're just such an easy target. <laughs> Usually we um, just do it in person. That's true. Yeah, so really no change. Nah. He's just not here to defend himself. Yeah. Not that he could anyways. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, for those of you who like Ken, um, he'll be back next week, I'm sure. Um, yeah. <laughs> I, I, don't, I forgot how to sign off from the podcast. Bye, podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Until next week, for Ryan Kennedy, Matt Larkin, I've been Edward Fraser. Thanks very much for listening. You stuck the landing. There we go. There you go. <laughs>